Welcome to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media service, El Monitor, where each week we talk with the decision makers and thought leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of El Monitor, and this week our guest is His Excellency Syed Badr bin Hamid bin Hamoud al Busaidi, the foreign minister of the Sultanate of Oman. Syed Badr was appointed foreign minister in August 2020 after a distinguished 30-year career in Oman's foreign service, including as ambassador, undersecretary, and from 2007 to 2020 as secretary general with the rank of minister. Among his many accomplishments, Syed Badr led the negotiations with the United States concerning labor law issues which began in 1993 and subsequently led to Omani membership in the World Trade Organization in 2000 and to a U.S.-Omani free trade agreement in 2006. He also established an office for political analysis in the foreign ministry to provide systemic assessment and policy analysis of key international and regional issues. Syed Badr is a master's degree graduate from Oxford University in politics, philosophy, and economics, and has given priority in his personal and professional life to the promotion of human rights, cultural diplomacy, tolerance, and mutual understanding, and the advancement of women in public life. A few quick facts about Oman. It is a country of more than 5 million people situated on the southeastern coast of the Arabian Peninsula, bordering the UAE, Yemen, and Saudi Arabia, and with maritime borders with Iran and Pakistan. Oman is a founding member of the Gulf Cooperation Council and a member of the Arab League, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, the UN, and all the leading international organizations. The U.S. and Oman have had a relationship by treaty since 1833 including the free trade agreement that we mentioned earlier. Oman has been instrumental and respected internationally as a facilitator of regional diplomacy, including with Iran, and was the location of the early U.S.-Iran back-channel meetings, which eventually led to the Iran nuclear deal in 2015. Given Oman's critical role in regional diplomacy and all that's happening in Oman and the Middle East, I am delighted to welcome our guest, Foreign Minister Syed Badr al-Busaidi, to talk about developments in Oman and the region. And that conversation begins now. Your Excellency, my friend, Foreign Minister Syed Badr al-Busaidi, welcome to On the Middle East. It's an honor to have you join us today to talk about Oman. Thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew, for this wonderful invitation. It's been just over two years since Sultan Haitham bin Tariq al-Sayed became Sultan of Oman, replacing the late Sultan Qaboos. Now, these were incredibly big shoes to fill and came on the cusp of the COVID-19 pandemic. But the transition has been smooth and marked by continuity and progress, in addition to the many challenges Oman and all countries are facing. I want to get into foreign policy, but can I begin by asking about the economic progress and, and priorities under Sultan Haitham? Oman has been praised 
for its handling of the economy. The economic hit was less than anticipated because of COVID. The country is expected to return to positive GDP growth this year and next. There have been initiatives at uh, government and bureaucratic reform, as well as diversification away from oil, introduction of a value-added tax, the establishment of two new government agencies, the Oman Investment Authority to improve management of public assets, and the energy development of uh, Oman Agency to manage and finance investments in energy. Can you briefly place these developments in the context of Sultan Haitham's vision for the country and the economy, and what are the priorities and challenges ahead? By all means, um, look, like all countries over the last two years, uh, um, a great deal of Omani energy and resources have been devoted to dealing really with the COVID-19 pandemic. But let me say this, although we have experienced uh, our own share of, of loss, illness, and acute pressures on public services and the economy, uh, I'm really um, proud uh, to say uh, of, of the resilience and resourcefulness with which uh, the Omanis have responded to the multiple challenges of, 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 this, of, of, of these challenges, particularly the pandemic. And we have made excellent use of our strong health infrastructure. Uh, above all, I want to stress, I mean, there was and is, uh, I'm glad to say, a powerful spirit of togetherness. Uh, and this, this amount to uh, what I call the, the, the concept of social unity. Uh, this this was uh, also clear in the in the public response, as as you have probably seen, uh, to the effects of the cyclone that we've been hit with, uh, Cyclone Shaheen, which uh, which hit very hard uh, uh, parts of the northern parts of Oman uh, in the in the Batina region, and uh, and uh, um, people really volunteered, traveled long distances to help clear up, repair and to support those whose homes uh, and businesses were damaged. And, and this, this gives us great confidence for the future because this sort of unity and sense of citizen participation, uh, I believe is going to be one of our top priorities uh, and strengths and greatest uh, strengths uh, as we move forward. Uh, the government of Sultan Haytham has, has developed an overall plan for national development, which we call Vision 2040. It was created, in fact, under the leadership of His Majesty, the Sultan. And uh, it sets uh, uh, for all of us ambitious targets to be achieved over the next 20 years. There are targets for economic development, focusing on industrial diversification and economic diversification, the knowledge economy, renewables, uh, education, and of course, uh, job creation and employment. There are targets for the, the quality and responsiveness of government and public services, and the inclusive mutual support shown by so many of our citizens over the last two years, 
will be an essential element, I believe, in our work to achieve these targets. And the government policies will continue to promote uh, inclusiveness as, as, as a core value. So currently, you know, man, uh, I mean, we, in, we really uh, understand the relationship between domestic and foreign policy. They cannot be separated uh, from each other. Not only must we all uh, act in uh, coordination across all aspects of government work, but really foreign policy has a particularly vital role to play in making sure that our international relations are perfectly aligned with our objectives for, for national development. Uh, so today, uh, foreign policy is something that requires everyone involved in international relations to have a sound understanding uh, of a much wider range of, of issues like economics, uh, like technology, the environment, health and education, and many other fields. It also means that really uh, our colleagues here involved in the development and the implementation of, of domestic policy, uh, including business leaders uh, in the private sector, need, uh, need also a sophisticated and up-to-date understanding of the global issues. And it is part of my job and the foreign ministry job um, to really keep colleagues and, uh, and these business uh, continuously up to speed on international developments. So this is really why our vision 2040 provides a, a crucial framework for establishing um, uh, foreign policy priorities. And this means that Oman's foreign policy must prioritize our agenda for economic development, uh, which is underpinned by diversification, by investment in education, by innovation, and so on. So the vision really is the driving force, the vision 2040, which is also about developing uh, the government structures uh, to make us more responsive, more transparent, more inclusive. And I see a key role for my ministry, for the foreign ministry here too, in, in this regard. So uh, uh, that said, uh, I mean, it is, it's been a very challenging period, uh, but we are confident that the overall, as you have noticed and mentioned, our fiscal position is now sound and improving. It's on the right direction. And we have Omar recently seen upgrading in the, in the position of uh, international ratings agencies, uh, our fiscal outlook uh, according to Moody uh, and Standard & Poor and Fitch is all showing stable and improving. And this gives us really a solid foundation to, 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 in order to make real progress towards uh, some of the more uh, perhaps ambitious economic goals we have set ourselves in the vision. So really, uh, you know, we will continue and His Majesty will continue exploring further economic reforms with consideration being given to how to eliminate wasteful subsidies, rationalize more the public sector employment, provide an appropriate social safety net, and develop ways for those who uh, enjoy the privileges of relative wealth to make an appropriate contribution to the common good. Uh, in, in this respect, I am very much feeling confident and optimistic that our renewed emphasis on inclusion will, will contribute to making Oman an even more attractive 
uh, and more desirable location uh, for foreign business and investments. Thank you for that. Now, let's get into some of the foreign policy issues that uh, Oman and the region are facing. As I mentioned in the introduction, Oman has always been known as a trusted facilitator for diplomacy, including with regard to Iran. And with most countries throughout the region, because you keep good relations with with all of the key countries. And it was in Oman that the early back channel talks took place, leading to the Iran nuclear deal. Now, how do you see the Iran nuclear talks that are going on now in Vienna? And what would be your counsel to the parties to those talks, including Iran and the United States? Are you hopeful of an agreement? And if so, do you think Iran can be trusted to abide by a nuclear deal if there is one? Okay, well, let me first say, uh, just going back um, on the foreign um, overall, I mean, Oman's foreign policy um, also contributes to the goals, uh, as I said, to the vision of 2040 in three let me just summarize it in three key avenues, which will probably understand how we also, how I can respond to your Iran question. So we work to ensure a secure and stable environment in which Oman's economy can grow. And then we promote an outlooking approach outward, which enables us to find the right markets, uh, the right partners and investors across the globe and we actively encourage and create structures to support joint projects and international uh, industrial and commercial collaborations. All three of these strands of our work towards the goal of achieving and the realization of Vision 2040 are therefore supported by Oman's longstanding foreign policy emphasis on dialogue and on maintaining friendly relationship with really everyone. What this means is that we try always to include everyone in all crucial conversations. This is key, uh, a key strand in our foreign policy. And so therefore we, we really tried uh, not to close any avenues for communication um, or rejects offers uh, for dialogue. The priority underpins all our key relationships and our approach to the regional issues. And this is uh, in response to the question on Iran, we will always, uh, and we have maintained always an optimistic stance about the, the ongoing negotiations in Vienna which aim for the return of the United States to the joint comprehensive plan of action. We are confident, I, uh, I believe, that both Iran and the United States wish to, to reach an agreement. I think everyone involved also recognizes the importance of building trust, uh, and I underline that word, on all sides in order to ensure that this time the agreement is going to be sustainable. It is not going to be easy, we all know that. It is not going to be easy for all parties to reach that end goal. But in order for them to do so, 
perhaps the most important prerequisite will be finding a way where all parties feel confident enough about the stability and the sustainability of the agreement. I've been talking with interlocutors in Tehran and also in Europe and in the United States, and I have confidence in the integrity and the good intention, I think, of all participants in these talks. Uh, and I, uh, we firmly believe that such an agreement would really serve the interests of everyone uh, and of the whole international community without exception. This is a good agreement for peace and security in our region and the world. And I really cannot stress how important to support all these participants and support the negotiations, the negotiations in the hope that they will reach an agreement at the end of the day. Let's talk about the link between the negotiations in Vienna and what's happening in the region. Uh, there have been several regional initiatives to engage Iran. There are the Saudi-Iran talks that have taken place in Baghdad. There's an increase in UAE-Iran diplomacy after years of acrimony. And there is, of course, as you just described, Oman's consistent approach to dialogue and dealing with Iran in all parties. How hopeful are you that the Arab Gulf states can settle their own accounts with Iran, and how much of that depends on the negotiations in Vienna and the role of the United States and other outside powers? Well, as I said, I think, uh, and we will continue uh, to believe in, in the power of dialogue and direct engagement. Uh, Iran uh, is a regional country, uh, and uh, um, you know, in, in whatever way you look at it, I think uh, we need to come to terms with our differences through dialogue and uh, reach an understanding where all parties can really play a constructive role uh, in resolving issues, in finding ways of deepening cooperation because at the end of the day, I, I believe it is in everybody's interest and indeed in everybody's intention that we want an environment of stability, of security, of peace, which will allow the peoples of the region at the, at the end of the day to prosper further, to deepening their interests and to make a region more attractive for uh, our partners to invest, to do business with, uh, and I think there is a growing realization how important this has become, uh, given the lessons of the past, and hopefully learning from those lessons for the future. There is no other avenue but to have an understanding to talk with each other directly, not at each other, but to talk with each other in order to reach that ultimate goal of understanding and cooperation. The war in Yemen is now more than five years old. It's been labeled by the UN as the worst humanitarian crisis in the world. There are approximately 30 million people in Yemen, about 46%, according to some estimates of that population, is under 15 years old. 
even when this war ends, we have the potential for a chronic failing state. And as we have seen further escalation in recent weeks with uh, Houthi rocket strikes on the UAE and calls for the U.S. to redesignate the Houthis as a, as a terrorist group. Uh, Oman is a neighbor of Yemen. It's played a role, quiet role in Yemen diplomacy. How do you assess the UN and Biden administration's Yemen diplomacy and peace plans? And what more can and should be done to bring the fighting to a close? Yeah, very important question. Uh, it's a very complicated um, crisis, but the bottom line is that this, this Yemeni problem needs ultimately a Yemeni solution. Our role is to help facilitate that, help that to happen. Uh, it's taken far long, unfortunately, and took away so much resources and lives, um, uh, uh, you know, along, along these seven or eight years. Uh, as a first priority, I believe there is a, a really urgent need to see a full ceasefire in place. We, because that would, would allow Yemen, would allow all the parties involved in this conflict, as well as all the friends of Yemen, to, to start at least the task of, of repairing the incalculable humanitarian damage that has been done. And on a political level, we continue to feel that there has been just too much emphasis on the role of external parties. Uh, we know that, for example, Saudi Arabia seeks an end to the conflict, an end to its involvement. Uh, and we think that Iran's support for the Houthis is, is perhaps real, but, but really often overstated. They, you know, as I said, Yemen needs a Yemeni, led by a Yemeni uh, set of factors to, to reach a solution, and we can help in that. This current escalation, uh, as we have seen in recent days, uh, has been deeply distressing, and we have really condemned it. And Oman stands strong with the United States and with the United Nations and with our neighbors in calling for de-escalation of these recent developments. Attacks on civilians and non-military targets have been a consistent and disturbing feature of this conflict. And we urge everyone, all parties, to exercise restraint and go back to a sense of calm and go back to exploring avenues for dialogue and negotiations so we can all come together to bring an end to this war. Should the Houthis be redesignated by the United States as a terrorist organization? The Houthis are a, an important component of the solution eventually and they need to be engaged and uh, recognized as an important component like other components in Yemen. 
because uh, we want them to be part of the solution. I mean, uh, they are there, we just cannot isolate them and designate them in a way that might really undermine what we're all trying to do uh, in bringing them to the negotiating table and finding uh, the uh, solutions to the reason why we have this conflict in the first place. So I think it will be a mistake to just look at the, uh, what do you call it, the symptoms and the effects. We want to address the reasons and that can only be done by engaging all parties, including the Houthis, which uh, are important players, to find uh, solutions to this conflict, this conflict which really has taken so much resources and so much lives. And I think it's in everyone's interest to really focus their energy in finding now solutions through dialogue, through negotiations, uh, under an environment of calm and maybe an environment of ceasefire, as I said before. Uh, I think, uh, you know, isolating any party or designating them uh, in that category uh, is probably uh, not the, not very helpful. It's it's not going to really, I think, bring uh, what we all want to see an end to this conflict. There's been talk, uh, rumor for some time that Oman could be among the next Arab countries to join the Abraham Accords. Is this a possibility? And under what conditions would Oman be willing to take that step? Hmm. Well, Andrew, let me uh, let me first emphasize uh, that the the most serious division and source of tension in the region is the unresolved issue of Palestine. I think that is a known fact. It's I, no one can disagree with that. Now, the continuing failure to find. Uh, a final just peace and a peaceful resolution uh, to this Palestinian issue has really exposed the region and all the people living in it to enduring instability. And although it is, perhaps I agree, it is not the root cause of all conflicts, but it is a major and a central contributing factor in numerous cases that our region has been struggling with. Oman has always supported genuine bilateral and multilateral efforts to find uh, a solution, including taking uh, really a pioneering initiatives uh, in, in opening a trade office in Israel in, back in the 1990s. So uh, dealing and engaging with Israel is, is nothing new. We've tried it before uh, and we were pioneered, pioneer, uh, pioneers in this, in this regard. Multilaterally, if I may say, um, and if I may just point to the success story of the Middle East Desalination Research Center, which we host, we continue to host in Oman, uh, as an institution which was founded within the multilateral phase of the Madrid peace process, demonstrates uh, that really concrete and pragmatic actions targeted uh, at kind of 
specific shared problems can foster mutual understanding and cooperation. So while bilateral relations are welcome, are always welcome, we should remain mindful of the strategic importance to see progress on the two-state solution that the whole world is calling for. This is the best way to make uh, a real and uh, a lasting peace and indeed to develop a full normalization of relations with the state of Israel. If there are developments that suggest a, a real willingness to, to engage on a multilateral basis with a commitment to, uh, to achieving a two-state solution and a, and a comprehensive peace, the Sultanate of Oman will be among the first to offer its active support, just as we have done so in the, in the past, in the 1990s, and even before the 1990s, uh, when we stood out to, in supporting the Camp David Accords back in the 1970s. That's my really response to your question. Oman, Egypt, and the UAE, among several Arab states have been moving in direction of support for Syria's return to the Arab League. This is opposed by the United States. Is Syria's return to the Arab fold a priority for Oman? And how do you see that trend developing? Well, as you, uh, as you know, Andrew, Oman was among the few states very few states who really uh, maintained its relationship with this Syria, uh, in the, even though Syria uh, kind of uh, was, was no longer in the Arab League or its membership was frozen. Because we, we always believed that uh, there, there needs to be some channel of dialogue and, and engagement with Syria. Syria is a founding member of the Arab League. It's a crucial player. And, uh, and I think uh, uh, bringing it back to the fold uh, is becoming increasingly more, uh, more and more increasingly uh, a concept that ought to be uh, embraced uh, because I think uh, we can help uh, that country in, 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 in finding a solution to the problems uh, by engagement, uh, by inclusivity, not by isolation. Uh, we have seen over, over the years now uh, that we have really hardly managed to achieve any progress uh, by isolating Syria and the Syrian regime. Uh, I think engagement is probably more promising uh, to, to, to bringing about um, 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 a solution to the crisis in Syria and encouraging uh, them to really reconciliate with all the other various parties uh, on the Syrian scene uh, to find and to forge a Syrian solution to that problem to, uh, and, and forge a, a future for that important country, an important Arab country in the Arab League. It was a year ago that the Aula summit was held, which led to blockading GCC countries in Egypt to, to restore ties with uh, Qatar. Oman and Kuwait were vital to this reconciliation. Can you comment on developments over the past year among the states? Are the wounds healing as you hoped and expected? I, I believe, um, and I'm pleased that the, uh, 
the GCC post Al Ula summit is moving ahead in the right direction and, uh, and continues, uh, I believe, to, to restore uh, relations between its members. Uh, and we are really deeply appreciative of the efforts made by Kuwait and, and by others and all parties in this context and uh, they are uh, now you know we are we, we are meeting more regularly uh, we're back to you know on all levels uh, the summits uh, have continued to convene uh, i mean let me be realistic uh, we're not there yet uh, there's still there's still uh, you know more work that needs to be um, conducted to to fully restore the relationship. And I think, uh, you know, we continue to support uh, uh, the relationships uh, uh, between uh, Qatar and, and, and all the other countries uh, that were involved in this. And uh, the, the visit of His Majesty, uh, the Sultan to, to Saudi Arabia uh, was uh, particularly uh, an important, uh, really, development. Uh, and at, it signaled again uh, a, st uh, a strong message uh, to to foster more relationships uh, between the neighbors, uh, important neighbors. And I think it really sends the right signals to the people of the GCC uh, uh, that that uh, that business is 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 progressing, uh, and there's a potential for growth for all of us, uh, for the people to benefit from. Uh, and we are very pleased with, with the developments vis-a-vis uh, -vis Saudi Omani relationship. Uh, the, you know, the opening of, of the road border uh, crossing between our two countries uh, is a particularly a historic event, an important step uh, towards further and deeper cooperation. So really, uh, we are optimistic uh, that the GCC is coming together uh, slowly but surely. Uh, and, and there are so many uh, projects uh, to be realized uh, and major developments in infrastructure, connectivity, uh, uh, that will really transform the, the economic dimension, uh, not just of Oman and Saudi Arabia, uh, but also uh, enhancing the, the, the dynamic uh, relationships among all the GCC countries. Saeed Bader, it has been a pleasure and an honor for me and our listeners to talk with you about the critical role Oman plays in the region. Thank you for joining us today on, on the Middle East, and I hope to see you soon in either your beautiful country or here in Washington. Thank you very much again. I really appreciated uh, this program. All the best and see you soon. We will return after this short break. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell, I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let Al Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to Al Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. 
You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis. Thanks to our guest, Foreign Minister Syed Badr al-Busaidi, and our production team of Beowulf Rocklin and Rosabel Hine of Two Square Media Productions. We will be back next week. And if you haven't done so, please sign up for all of our podcasts at your favorite podcast platform. Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel, whose guest this week is His Royal Highness Prince Turkey Al-Faisal Al-Saud, who will discuss his new book, The Afghanistan File. And On Israel with Ben Caspit, whose guest this week is veteran attorney Amit Becher, about the possibility of former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu signing a plea bargain in order to escape possible prison time. And of course, this podcast on the Middle East, where Ambrin Zaman will be here next week with another decision maker or thought leader in the region. Thank you all for listening, and please keep up with all of the news and trends in the Middle East at lmonitor.com. <laughs> <laughs>